0: You're listening to a podcast from Westwind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. I I love just how Ashley has led this morning, because as we dive into Malachi chapter two this morning, so if you ever Bibles, you can flip their devices wherever you want we 're going to dive into that, um, but just to remember that what what Christ has done and that he, that he loves us and how we need him, and I think that 's so so important because this passage today is it 's heavy it really is heavy, um, and it 's one of those things to where i 've I've brought uh, some levity to it through my week, thinking about part of what it talks of, and I'm and, um, going, There's, I hope there's, a, there's maybe some levity in that, and that we can see this because we understand the promise of Jesus, which is great. And uh, even as I've talked about it a little bit with some friends throughout the week, just, um, I guess, giggle. Giggle is the right way to think about you know, the Lord just brings some things in front of us through the Word. You're like, is that really there? Yeah, that's absolutely there. And last night I was hanging out with some friends and um, uh, one of the, the gal, she was given this gift basket which had a lot of fun things in it, um, primarily kids toys. So if you are at all, anyone child at heart, child at heart, everyone should raise their hand. If you're not a child at heart, let's find it in us this morning. Like just close your eyes and like dig it up a little bit, like dig out that child at heart. So we're a child at heart? Like, we love, love the little kid in us. Um, so we have these toys, and I was looking at them, and she had this one right here, which I think is really cool. When did unicorns become super cool? And, and what, have they always been cool? Who created the unicorn? Is this like a mythical Greek mythology thing? Does someone know? Like, I'd, I'm legitimately asking. I have no idea unicorn. So she had this little unicorn, and I thought, this is great. And I was explaining to her husband that I'm preaching on Malachi 2, and you know, in the part of the passage, it talks about how, uh, and then we'll get there, so it's just a little precursor, how um, there'll be manure, and there'll be faces, and there'll be u- people thrown on manure piles, and and how we have to take that and it's it's heavy, it's serious, but there's also a bit of levity to it because if you think about it, and all the things that I could have done as a pastor, like let's let's bring this to life. So let's me bring a bag of manure up here because we live in Iowa. This is a common thing in Iowa, manure. We 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 have the scent of it in our world even these days as as we drive around the farm fields. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bring anyone up here and illustrate that. But I came across the, the little unicorn, which is really cool. And it does, I if you're online, sorry, you're not going to be able to see it. But you press and it leaves a little treat for you, right? Anyone have pets at home? You, that child, like some of you are like, is this church? What's happening right now? Um, but we have to have a little bit of levity. And so you can have, you know, the, the unicorn that lets things out below its tail, that's, I'll just, I'll leave it at that. So there's candy. When did we come into a world where these are the toys we give our children? Like, this is what we teach our kids, and as adults, we, we have fun with this. Is that good? Levity? Unicorn. So as we go through the sermon, you're going to think, oh, the unicorn, you're not going to be able to get out of your head, and it's fine. Um, it, it's just okay. So I'm going to plate the unicorn over here, and I'm sure, and when Ashley comes back up, She'll be distracted by the unicorn and hopefully it'll bring her some levity and some giggles. Giggles are good because we have to remember that in the middle of, of the word of God, from time to time, we have to remember that God is good. Even though we don't feel it, even though we don't sense it, maybe we don't even understand it, that God is good. And he has this incredible plan for us. And he wants to remember the joy that he wants to bring to our life, even if through a simple, silly little toy Um, but that that he wants us to bring joy to our lives, and that's his whole plan. I think one of the things that we struggle with the most in our world, in our life, isn't necessarily about, um, you know, why a good God would let bad things happen in our world. Why would a good God let bad things happen to good people? And why would a good God, a loving God, allow... Um, good things to happen to people that seem to do bad things. And we wrestle with these questions and we think like this is maybe one of the bigger questions. And 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 maybe we struggle with the idea of, of, of God's wrath. And we don't like the idea that that we read through scripture and a lot in the Old Testament, where we are in Malachi, and we're like, I, I don't like a a, a wrathful God. That doesn't make sense to me. We talk, I like the loving side of God. I love the whole Jesus side of of God. Like that's great because he loves people and heals people and that's really good. But the wrathful side of God, I don't really like. And so we kind of point out these things and we go, "I, I just don't, don't really love that so much. But I think what we struggle with in our world that people get to this place of mostly that they're most uncomfortable with is this. We are uncomfortable with God's holiness. We're not really uncomfortable with his wrath. We're not really uncomfortable with his correction. We're uncomfortable with the fact that God is holy. That he's perfect in every way. That he's pure in every way. And here's why I I want to suggest that to us this morning. That we are absolutely uncomfortable with God's holiness. Because as a result that God is holy— he cannot be adulterated. That means that he can't be blemished. He can't be marred. He can't have something, a speck of anything on him because he is pure. And the ideal purity is not something our world today grasps because there's not too many things that are pure in our world. And so we wrestle with this. What does this mean? Especially when we read through passages through the Old Testament. Especially when we read through the prophets like we are with Malachi. But here's the reality of the nature and the character and the holiness of God. That for him to be holy means that he needs to be separated from that which is unholy. In his creation, his ultimate desire and purpose is for him to be in a holy relationship with what he created. That's the garden, going back to Genesis 1. The problem is sin entered into the storyline. And God, in order to remain in holy relationship, needs to separate that which is unholy. And that is where his wrath then comes in. And we start to get uncomfortable. Because that means God's starting to address the sin in our world, by doing something about it. And oftentimes that comes across in in forms of punishment. Maybe it's people's loss of lives, or maybe um, it's a a, a response of uh, where something bad happens because, not because that God doesn't love us, but because that he's a holy God And to be in relationship with a holy God, you yourself need to be holy. And that right there is where we are found in the most uncomfortable place as humans. Because we want to believe in a loving God. We want to believe that God's going to love us and love wins all in the end and that everything's going to be happy-go-lucky. But that's not always the case. God is a loving God but he's a holy God. And he's going to justify that correctly and in his will and in his way for his purpose to be holy. And we're going to get to a little bit of that in the person of Jesus, which is such the beautiful part of the story. And there's something as we dive into Malachi too, I also want us to remember that, that we are called a royal priesthood. And so even as we dive into this passage, I want you to, to hold on to this truth of who we are in Christ. That if we have a relationship with Christ, we're walking with God, that he has called us. When he sees us, he sees us as this— and it's such an important reminder to hold on to as we walk through this passage. So as we start, I actually want to read out of First Peter to us. And I want us to do this together. And so I'm going to have a stand up. We're going to read these passages together. Um, they're going to be on the screen, so you don't need to flip there in your Bibles. But I want to read this passage together as the church, and I want us to remember these words as we dive into Malachi 2, that this is what God has called us as. That in his holiness, he has done a work for us that allows these, these phrases, these words to be true. So as you read them, maybe you're going to come from a couple of different places. One, you may be coming like, I don't know if I believe this. That's That's okay. Read the words and just, just let them be said out loud. Maybe you're, you know this to be true, but you're struggling with something in your life. I'm like, ah, does God really see me in this way? Hear these words to be true, a blessing that is being read over you, to be reminded of, even as Ashley shared, to be reminded of God's work in your life. And maybe it's just a sense of like, I, I know this to be true. I, I just want to stand confident. I want to say these things out loud because I know them to be true. And I love that these words can be said. So let's read this together. Um, out of First Peter, in chapter two and starting in uh, verse one, so it says. So put away. Read it with me. All malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to Him. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. One more. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That one is so important for us to remember. That we are a royal priesthood. That through Jesus, we can, that we, there's a sacrifice that is made on our heart. That's powerful. You guys can have a seat. So last week, Pastor Keith preached a powerful message out of Malachi 1 about bringing our best before the Lord. That we bring our best offering, our best sacrifice before the Lord. And in our world, we have so much that distracts us from that. We have so much that that holds us back and maybe that again, that is that feeling like I don't have a good offering or good enough offering to bring. Or maybe we are so distracted by these and like, I just got to get this done and so I'm just going to go to church today and kind of get it done and then I'm going to get on with the other things that I think are more important or that are more pressing in my life. Whatever it may be, we need to be reminded that we need to bring our best. And are we bringing our best before the Lord when we wake up in the morning to ask that question? And as we get into chapter 2 of the story here in Malachi, we're told some hard things. The reality is that if we don't bring the best, there's a response that will happen that's going to be heavy to hear. And so I want to read uh, this, the first nine verses that we're going to be in today to you. And there's hope in these verses, although it may not feel like there is. So let's start reading Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read for verse 5. And it starts as this. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So, What the Lord is speaking through Malachi here, he's looking back to what happened in the end of chapter one. You brought these broken, defiled sacrifices before me. You didn't bring the pure lamb. You didn't bring the pure stuff. You didn't bring your best. You brought the not so good. You brought the broken things. You brought the stuff that said, I can keep the best for myself and and I'm just gonna give the leftovers to God. I'm just gonna kind of give them the side stuff that no one wants, but I'm gonna give it to God because it's, it's a sacrifice anyway. It's just, it's just gonna to go to a burnt offering or um, to a splattered blood offering, whatever it may be. I'm just gonna give that because I'm not gonna use the best to go over to something that's just gonna to get torn up and, and sacrificed in that way. I'm gonna save the best for the meal for my family or for myself. And the Lord of hosts is saying, but that's not what you were commanded to to do, you are called to bring your best to me because you understand that that I have given the best to you, that, that I am worthy of the best and the most pure offering, the most pure sacrifice, that the work and the plan and the purpose and the calling that I have for you deserves the right response of that. And then the Lord says, but, but that's not what you're bringing. And your role as priests here are to set an example, to teach the truth, to show the way to the people. And you're corrupting that teaching as well. You've broken up the whole process that was purposeful and intentional for worship. And you've corrupted it. So therefore everything that you think I'm going to show you what it feels like in some respects. That's my phrasing of that. It's a little bit of this idea we get in our world, like you reap what you sow. This is a a good image of that. Although I'm not sure that's the perfect illustration, but it's a good idea that we understand. If we're going to bring a broken sacrifice, we're going to receive something that's not so great. If we're only going to come to God with a little bit, we're going to only experience a little bit. If we're going to break up this relationship with God and come to Him kind of like, nah, I'm not really going to give everything, we're going to walk away going, nah, I didn't really get much. If we want to receive and experience and know the goodness, the character, the nature of God, we bring our best to experience all the goodness and all the best of who He is. Man, is that hard to do. But Malachi is drawing out the words of the Lord to remind the people that that is what we are called towards. And then if we don't, that we will receive only what we bring. And it gets brought into this place of that from the broken offerings, the dung from those offerings will be what will be used to wipe on your face. Can you imagine that? I brought a broken lamb. So the dung from that lamb, the Lord is going to take and wipe on my face for, that, for me to remember that I did not bring my best. I mean, think of the imagery or the reality of that right now. I mean, sometimes you have kids, you know, when, you're, when you have infants and things happen and diapers get explosive and it goes everywhere. You, you get it, right? Now imagine that. But imagine that in your relationship with the Lord that if you're going to bring the brokenness, that's, the, that's what you're going to experience. But then, it's not just being wiped on your faces, but then you will be placed on the new Basically, you're going to be separated from God. You're going to be thrown out with all the refuge, with all the garbage. If we don't bring our best, we will never experience the goodness of God in that way. And we get so frustrated in our world like, why, God? Why, why won't you give us your best? Why won't you show us your love? Why won't you respond with your glory? Why won't you take care of the evil stuff in this world? But yet we still bring him our worst offering. We still bring him our brokenness. And we're wondering why we don't experience the goodness and the nature and the character of God in the way we desire. And I wonder if it's less about him and more about what we are and what we bring. That's a hard word to hold on to, isn't it? It's hard to hold, and, and God wants us to remember that in this, that you can't just bring brokenness and, and, and garbage, because if you do, that's all you're going to receive. It's going to be wiped on your faces. You're going to be put in the garbage, and you're going to be separated from God, because the sacrifice, the point of the sacrifice is this. The sacrifice is to, to, to bring a, a forgiveness to you, That the blood sacrifice covers the sin is what makes you right with God. And so if you're bringing something that is broken and it's not making you right with God, you're living in separation from God. That's all God's reminding us of here. He's using some very graphic imagery to do it. Some very smelly, gross imagery to do it. But he's just reminding you, if you're not bringing the best, the best sacrifice, which is to, to create the reconciliation, the reconciliation's not happening and you're missing out on the goodness and the love and the grace of God. And that's what he desires the most. And in this passage, he's saying, as a priest, that's your job, not only for you to come in right with God, but for you to show and to lead and to teach others and how they can be right with God and understand what God desires for them. So not only are you staining yourself, you're misleading other people. You're you're misguiding other people in their understanding. And it goes right down to the end that that in verse nine, and so I make despise and abase from the people in as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Think of it this way. You're just picking and choosing what you like and don't like about my instruction. And the things you like is what you bring. The things you don't like, you just throw out. This passage, it's so relative or relational for us today because we do the same thing in our world. We look through scripture and we're like, I don't like the first half of this whole book. So I'm going to flip open to the next book, which is, Matt. oh, Jesus is good. I'm not going to worry about the first books of the Bible where it talks about hard stuff and God's wrath and and how God does some things. You're like, I don't quite understand how he wiped out a people um, because they were doing those things. He just took them off the face. I don't like that, but I love that Jesus feeds the 4,000, that he heals many, um, and he, he carries out these beautiful things. I love that. I love that part. I love it when he says he gives us good gifts. And then he's a father, I don't like anything else. And that's what is being addressed. We can't just pick and choose the things we like. God's holiness is uncomfortable. I get it. But we need to come to him and respond in a way that shows him his glory and his worth. And he's reminding the priest that we need to live in that way because he desires something for us that's so deep and so rich and so powerful. But if we don't do what we've been called to do in responding to him, if we don't understand the work of the sacrifice in responding to him, we won't experience him in that beautiful way. And that's a tough place to be in. But even in the midst of this hard imagery and that reality, the Lord reminds us of a guy named Levi a priest who is set up to be the 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 covenant tribe to lead his people to understand the sacrifices to do the servant work of bringing the sacrifices to the temple before the Lord to offer them for the sins of the people so they can be made right with God he reminds us of this guy named Levi now Levi while he's being held up here say look at Levi he's a great example he wasn't perfect He was one of the brothers that threw Joseph into the pit and sold him off into slavery. He did some things in his life that weren't great. But God still said, I have a plan for you, even though you've done some things along the way that shouldn't have been done, but but I'm going to work those things out for the good. And he we talks about that later in scripture, which is awesome. And Levi's heart is made right and he steps into this role. Now, God is showing him as an example for who we are as priests and how we need to live forward. Now, remember the passage that we all read together that we are a royal priesthood. So, you think, well, I'm not a Levite. I'm not Jewish. I'm not living in that place. I'm not called to that. Well, we are because we are called a royal priesthood. So, keep that reminding yourself throughout this passage and throughout this message that we are right here. So, when Levi is being set apart, we look to him, we say, I need to live like that. So he draws draws us out, says, my covenant with Levi was one of this, of life and peace. That word life, I love it. As I was looking into that, it it really means um, here that it's a steady, level, straight ground, and that it's, it's ongoing. You can see it for the length of all that it is. In another word, it's as simple as this, it's eternal. It's always ongoing. It's always being carried forward. When that word life, it's not just breathing in and out. It's not just the idea of breath in our lungs. It's not the idea that we can put one foot or or in front of the other. We can use our hands or we can see or think or smell or, or whatever the senses are. It's so much more than that. It's that idea that it's this constant level fulfillment that is eternal. Here in the Old Testament, God is talking about eternal life. That's the covenant that through the sacrifice we have eternal life. We often appoint that to the New Testament, to Jesus in John 3:16, that anyone who believes in them, that will have eternal life. God set that up hundreds of years before. This is why the Old Testament is really important for us to say. We can't just throw it out. Because God started talking about eternal life long before we see Jesus come into the picture. But he's giving this this eternal life. And with this eternal life, we have peace. Think of the peace, an, an idea of restoration. That all the things that we feel upheaval about, he is calmed. All the things that we feel uncomfortable about, he is reconciled and made right. So we have this eternal life where things are reconciled and made right. And that's the covenant that he had. So God gave that to Levi, that through the sacrifice, he he was to lead the people to that place, of eternal life, of just perfection, holiness in that relationship, which is awesome to think about, that God's offering that. I love it. But then he talks about how Levi responded to that understanding of that covenant. I love it. It was a covenant of fear, and Levi feared me. He stood in awe. Now, the idea of fear, there's a little bit of that, that God is saying, um, you need to fear me, and let's be honest, God is all-powerful, and there's a sense of, I can be afraid of him because of what he can do but that's not the fear that he's talking about. And I love that he brings these two things together because he feared me in the very next phrases, he stood in awe of my name. That's the idea of fearing the Lord, that we stand in awe of who he is. It's not that we're afraid of what he will do, but we're in awe of who he is. That's the fear of the Lord, that Levi had that kind of fear of God, that he had this awe of reverence of God. And that as a result, that there was true instruction, truth came from his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips, that he always spoke the words of God. He spoke truth. He didn't wrestle with vain imagination. He didn't wrestle with this other narrative that's going on in our world of all the lies and all the the misdirection that's there. He spoke truth of God's word. It wasn't things that he thought of. It wasn't things that, that he crafted. It's truth of instruction, the words that we have here. That's what he brought to the people. And I love this, that he walked with me in peace and uprightness. There's a confidence in that statement that I know who God is. I know what he's done for me. And so I walk with him and I walk with confidence. I walk with uprightness. That I'm focused on where he's leading me. I'm focused on this path towards eternity. And he turned many from iniquity, that there was purpose to how he lived his life was not just about him, but it was about others around him. That an understanding of who God was with him that he also wanted others to understand what God has done for them so that they could walk with God as well. So there's not only an understanding of the, the, the nature of Levi and the person of Levi and what God has done for him to reconcile and make him right, to give it eternal life, to live a life of peace, but to invite others into that journey with him as well. And God reminds us the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and the people should should seek the instruction from their mouths. So there's a responsibility that the priest has that others should seek the priest out for how they live and what they say because they're focused on the covenant of God before them. I love this. I love that they draw that God draws out Levi's example of what he's done and how he lived. He wasn't a perfect man, but he's a man that figured something out the heart of God and said I want to lead and, and walk with God in this way, and I want others to come alongside and understand this, and understand that the sacrifices are so important to this process, that without the sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, we don't have that reconciled and right relationship with God. Levi's role was so, so important. But then in verse eight, the Lord brings it back, but you have turned aside from this way that even though you've had the example throughout generations, because we're, we're long after Levi at this point in Malachi's word, that even had, though you've had this example for generations, you've known the truth of this storyline, of this person, and that you follow, you have gone away from that. You've let this other instruction, this other narrative, take over your life and over your path, and you're missing it. And as a result you will stay separated from me. You'll be thrown out with a manure pile because I'm a holy God and impurity and, I, and, and my holiness can't be in relationship with one another. And we're reminded again. We're reminded again. The sacrifices are so important. So important. Now, if you track it all, um, I don't know the last time any modern church has offered a sacrifice like this. It's pretty rare, especially in America, if at all. This idea of what we see in Malachi is not common to our understanding of church. We don't bring in the best lamb or the best dove, whatever we may bring, and we have an altar up here that any of our elders come, and then and we. I won't go into the graphics of what sacrifice looks like. There's no blood and there's no, no uh, incense offering that is brought here. And so you're like, well, then that doesn't apply to us. It doesn't, Jason. So then what are we talking about? Well, here's the beauty of it. Is that this covenant that, that God had with Levi, this covenant that he had with his people was fulfilled by another sacrifice. Straight up. And this is the beauty of that. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But before that, I want you to understand that, that we're still living in a covenant. That we still, in this day and age, are still called to bring our best before the Lord. Just as Pastor Keith preached on last week, we need to be reminded of that always. And sometimes that just is the honesty, even as Ashley shared this morning, the honesty, here's where I am. I'm coming to a hard place, but God, when I brought that to him, has reconciled, he's made me understand the goodness and the rightness of what Jesus has done for me. And that's so beautiful. He does that for all of us, for each and every one of us. But that's hard space to live in. But here's the promise I want to give you that's connected to that that new covenant, to the ultimate sacrifice, is this, that this covenant is still the same. So Jesus is that new covenant. He fulfilled the law. And by the fact that he fulfilled the law means this, that this sacrifice, this law that said bring these sacrifices to me, he was the pure lamb. Isaiah talks about that. The first 40 chapters of Isaiah talk about all the brokenness. and all the, the rest of the chapters of Isaiah talk about how it's reconciled through the person of Jesus. That he laid it all out. He was the spotless lamb. That all of the curse that we see here was put on Jesus on our behalf. Think about that. Put the two things together. That the manure from our brokenness was put on the person of Jesus. That in his broken body it was thrown out. He took that on for us. So, can we just pause for a quick second? And I know, again, kind of this this unsightly imagery here, but the person of Jesus took on my mess. He took it upon his face. He was stricken and beaten, he was hung on a cross. Alignment with the idea that he was thrown out with the trash. The difference here in his fulfillment of the covenant is that three days later, he conquered death. No trash heap could hold him. No grave could keep him back because he was reconciling that relationship. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And when you look at the the testimony of Levi here, this is the same testimony of Christ. Christ. In so many ways that this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus has done for us. We live in this covenant. That the covenant is one of life and peace. What is life again? What is it? It's eternal life. That through Jesus we have eternal life. That we have peace. That we are made right with God through the work of Jesus through his death and his resurrection. Isn't that awesome to think about? that he is that new covenant. Now, as a result of that understanding of what he's done for us, that we live in a right relationship with God because of Christ, that we are moved to a few places, I hope. So if God has given us this covenant, we should therefore live a life of awe. We should live a life of awe before the Lord because he paid it all for us. That even though we have struggled in our world and we wrestle through and we understand that we're broken here, that he's doing the work through us. So then we therefore live in awe and fear of the Lord. It's like, God, man, you are so good that I will bring my best to you. You are so good that I will fall on my knees and recognize that I am unworthy. But Lord, that because of your work on the cross, you invited me into the presence of God. You look at me as lovely. You look at me as pure. You look at me as restored. And I will stand in awe of you because of what only you could do through your fulfillment of that covenant. And then I will live a life of truth that I won't engage the, the world's rhetoric and the world's narrative. I will only engage the world uh, in a way that shows them the truth of your word. This is the word that I'll hold on to. This is the truth that I will stand on and I'll hold to it. So I will live a life of truth. And then I will live a life of uprightness. I will stand confident and I will always walk towards the throne of God knowing that this promise that he has given me will be fulfilled when you return to bring me home and into this eternal relationship with you. That even though this world is broken and I got to continue walking through it, it's imperfect and I'm, a, I'm still a little bit imperfect even though you may be right with you. I'm still a little bit imperfect and you're working that out. You're transforming me to become more like you but I'm going to walk upright in confidence, in truth with you and I'm going to live that life and I'm going to live a life of wisdom. And I'm going to take that truth and I'm going to share that truth with others when they have the hard questions about life. I'm going to trust in your spirit to give me the words so that they can, they can run to you and, and that they can understand your instructions, that they, they hear truth coming from who I am, both in my words but also in my deeds, just as James speaks. Interestingly, this, this life that we're called to live is the same life that Jesus lived. He set the model for us, that he lived in all the Lord. He went to the place. said, I do the will of the Father. He spoke the truth even in his greatest temptations. What he gave back to the devil when he was tempted was the words of God. He brought back, he didn't try to argue with Satan, he didn't try to argue with the enemy. He just said, This is what the word of God says. I hold to that. He walked in a sense of uprightness and confidence, even though he knew what he was gonna walk through was going to be hard. Even though at one point in his life he said, is there any way that you could take this cup from me? Because if there is, I'm willing to step into that new way, but Lord, your will be done. I will stand in confidence in what you're calling me to. And I will share truth and wisdom with others around me. I will remind them that you are part of a greater plan and a greater purpose. And even when you don't understand, I will give you little nuggets of truth along the way, wisdom along the way, that'll help you live this life to experience and know the beauty and the character of God, the holiness of God, in a new and a fresh way. The example of Levi, the covenant of Levi, is the same covenant we see through Jesus. The example that we're called to live as a royal priesthood is the same life that we see Jesus had lived. And we live in that promise. And that's beautiful. That's powerful for us to remember. Heavy words that if we don't bring our best, we miss God's best. I was reflecting on Psalm 51, where the psalmist writes that you don't delight in a sacrifice, but what you desire is a, a broken and contrite heart. And I was reminded that the sacrifice does not define the heart, but the heart is what defines the, defines the sacrifice. When my heart is right with God, what I bring to God will be right, it will be holy, it will be pure and our heart can be made right again through the person of Jesus and what he's done for us and living in that covenant, in that promise. Church, I desire to hold that same testimony as we see in Levi. As a pastor, as part of the royal priesthood as part of being the, the body of Christ, the voice to a world of hope and of peace and of truth and of life. But man, I don't always get it right. And I am so in awe of the fact that even in my brokenness, that Jesus came and said, I will be the spotless lamb. I will take on all the iniquity. I will take on all the manure. I will take on all the refuge onto me and I'll sacrifice that before the Lord to be the pure and spotless lamb, the ultimate sacrifice that wipes everything. Away. There'll never have to be another sacrifice again because of what I've done. And as I'm reminded of that, I am moved to the, the, the place where like, Lord, then if you have done that for me, then use me in whatever way you will church, I want to ask you that same question. As God gives you his covenant of life and peace, will you respond with a life of awe, a life of truth, a life of uprightness, and a life of wisdom? And it's not a checklist that if I do these things, then I'll understand and know God more. But it's more of, I do these things because of what God has done for me, and it's the only right response. It's the only right way to live. And as I live in that way, the nature and the mystery and the beauty of God becomes more and more real to me as he's transforming me into the Christ-likeness that he desires in me. That at some point I look out into eternal life and there's that point when Jesus will return and I don't see the mess and I don't see the manure anymore. I look forward to that fulfillment, the completion of the promise. but we have to hold to that in Jesus. I'm gonna invite Ashley to come back up because I want us to remember, even as we we close in this last song, what God has done for us. That, That what the Lord is speaking through Malachi, this rebuke from the Lord, isn't just a slap upside the head to say, you're doing something wrong. It's a reminder to say, I'm a holy God and I've made it right. It's a reminder for us in this world that God still gave us this word thousands of years later to remember that he has paid it all and that we can come broken before him and he makes that right. That because of his sacrifice, the curtain was torn and we are are welcomed into the holiest of holies. That there's a sacrifice that was pleasing to God that brought the purity back. Will you all close your eyes with me real quick? I wonder what that is for each of you. Coming from last week, being challenged, am I bringing my best before the Lord? And coming into this week and reading these verses and going, man, I just don't know if I have the best to give. I feel all I have is a broken sacrifice. All I have is a. am I'm a, I'm a limping lamb. I'm, a, I'm a, a, a faltered dove with a broken wing. How can I bring myself as a living sacrifice if I feel broken myself? How am I to think about how to be this, this right sacrifice before the Lord? Here's what I want to remind you. That yeah, We're still living in this tension of being made right with God through the work of Christ and walking in the reality of our humanity and still being being broken people. But God sees eternity. And when he sees eternity, he sees wholeness, purity, rightness. And I wonder if all we need to do is see that too that we need to look beyond what this world holds for us or what we may look like in this world that we see eternity through Jesus and what we are welcomed into. So I wonder if you'd do something with me this morning. If you're willing, just to open your hands in front of you and say, Lord, I don't know if I have much to bring. I feel like all I have is a broken lamb or a broken wing. God, I want to give it to you. I want to give you my best. I want to give you my questions. I want to give you my my concerns. I want to give you things I don't understand. I want to give it all to you. And I want to live that life in awe of you. Lord, I want to hold on to that promise that you gave us through Jesus that draws us back to the covenant of Levi, a holy priest who makes things right in the eyes of God. And Lord, use me as a royal priesthood to give that instruction and that hope and that peace and that life to others. I wonder what you placed in your hands this morning. And here's the promise, that Jesus paid it all. Romans 12, we've offered ourselves as a living sacrifice. But Jesus was the pure lamb. So when we can bring our all to God, we can stand in awe and worship him. Church, will you just stand and let's just sing this last song together as a response to the goodness and the nature of God, recognizing the truth of even these hard words, but that Jesus makes it right. And we can stand in his presence and sing to him in unity together as the church. Let's worship. Mm-hmm.